a listener production. Okay, here we go. He is ice cool in moments like this. Oh, the big fella runs back into heavy traffic. Look at him go! Coming up on Footy Talk, I'm James Graham, joined by Ben Teo. We're talking the fallout from the Roosters, 26 points to 16 victory over the Manly Seals and the potential ACL injury from Matt Lodge. We'll also be discussing the send-off of Nathan Brown and the form of Josh Schuster. Hello and welcome everybody to Footy Talk. I'm your host, James Graham. Today, uh, the usual lads are out, Connor Watson and G.I., but we brought in none other than Benny Teo. Benny Teo, how are we doing? Yeah, good, mate. Thanks for having me. Now, great to have you on, mate. Lots to re- lots to talk about. Firstly, we'll uh, look at some of the major fallout from the Roosters' 26 points to victory over the Manly Seagulls on 16. Matt Lodge with a potential ACL injury. Yeah. Mate, what are your thoughts there? Do you think it'd be difficult for him to reignite or restart his NRL career? Well, first things first, he's got to go for those scans. So he's got a very nervous wait at the moment. I can only imagine he'd be sitting there and his mind's racing. He's waiting. What time can I get him for a scan tomorrow? How long am I going to have to wait till I get the results? But, you know, it was one of those ones you sort of watched the replay and you couldn't really see any twisting or any impact. He sort of fell to the ground and straight away signaled to the trainers that he was done, that he had to come off and really struggled to hobble off the field. So... Uh, signs are not looking good and whenever you get that info out of the sheds that it's a potential ACL um, it's not great news is it yeah usually scans do confirm that and the fact that there was no um, no clear sign of injury it just sort of happened and then you know he he tried to battle on like yeah. he, he really did he, he got the he got the strapping done and you're almost convincing yourself it's not that bad it's not that bad and then he tried to take a couple of steps and he realised he just signalled to the bench it's all done I, I guess What's in the in the hands of, of Matt Lodge or, or benefit to him is the fact that he's been through many adversities and setbacks before. So he yeah. knows what this is like. This one is a little bit different in terms of the injury management. But at the age of 28, I still think there's life in him. And, and I don't think uh, his career, uh, his NRL career is over. He might have to do some tough times and dig into whatever savings he's got. But you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see him take sort of six to nine months to recover and then look to reignite his career late in 2024. Yeah, it's going to take some time. If that's um, what happens, if he ends up getting surgery, he's going to be out for most of the season and the start of next year. Look, he's in a difficult position, isn't he? He, he went to the Roosters. He, he he thought from all you know reports that he was going to get a long-term deal. That didn't eventuate. And so he was pretty much on the outer from then on. Uh, I know Lodgy quite well. He can be a prickly character at times and ended up going to Manly on a training trial and he was there to prove himself. In the last few games, he's been doing just that. You can sometimes see when a player's off contract and they're playing with such desperation, he really wanted to earn a new contract. Now, that'll be up to Manly if there's any sort of good faith there to think, you know, this guy was playing well. He was very committed. Let's put him on a one-year deal, a, a lower contract in the top 30 to tick him over while he rehabs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're right there. I think he was uh, proven his point, proven his his worth with his almost instant impact uh, at Manly. Do you think though he'd look back and he'd be he'd be dirty on the on the Roosters for not following up with the uh, alleged promises on on a longer term deal? Well, absolutely, and it d- really depends on who you listen to about 
Yeah, there's two sides to the story about what he was told and what he was promised. But look, as we know in rugby league, till you sign on the dotted line, and even when you do sign the, on the dotted line, things can change really quick with contracts. And Jared Weir Hargraves ended up staying on for a year, and so did Daniel Tupo. No room left in the salary cap for Matt Lodge, and he had to be moved on. Yeah, it's an unfortunate consequence for Matt Lodge. And, you know, I think whatever you, your thoughts on him and his, his off-field uh, indiscretion, there's no doubt he brings plenty of action when he's on the field. The game does give people second chances. And I've liked what he's brought since returning to the NRL. He's had a couple of clubs uh, and our thoughts are with him. Nobody likes to see players with such a uh, devastating injury. But the game itself, the Roosters, like I say, 26 points to 16 over the Manly Seagulls. The Nathan Brown send-off. He'd been sitting on the bench for at least the first half into around about the 62nd minute. Six, yeah. He enters the field. He's yet to have a run. He's attempting his first tackle. He flies out the line on Ben Trebojevic, cleans him up high. Ben, you and I were commentating this game. Is that what you expected? Well, I know what to expect with a player like Nathan Brown. He's always someone that I think comes out and tries to come up with an aggressive play for his side. I think that's what inspires his team. And as we said, look, he sat on the bench for 60 to 65 minutes. He was probably frustrated. He had been striding up and down the sideline, probably stretching a lot, trying to get the attention of the coaches to get him on. And the first thing he wants to do is make an impact. And he just got it wrong. He got it wrong. He he flew off the line. The shoulder made connection with the chin of, of Ben Trevojevic and Look, he, he had to go to the bin. And if we are serious about cleaning up the game, I think that's the type of decision that the referee had to make. Yeah, I agree with you, mate, 100%. No one wants to see players getting hit in the head. He was actually on the field for a grand total of 30 seconds. <laughs> now, I know Adrian Morley has the record for the quickest sending off in a test match for Great Britain against Australia. Fantastic. The Ashes are coming back to these shores. Actually, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But Nathan Brown, I don't think he can have any complaints there. The positive is, is that Ben Chaborovic got straight back up and was sort of going after Nathan Brown a little bit. But it, it looked as if it was more bicep making contact with the head. But that doesn't excuse Nathan Brown because that's the type of tackle, if it goes wrong, can have devastating consequences. I think uh, he'll be looking at a decent amount of time on yeah. the sideline. One of those players that did have some moments of brilliance in a Quite a frustrating game to watch. Is he the most frustrating player in the NRL at the moment? He had a try and a try assist. Some moments of brilliance. Josh Schuster, he played in the 5-8 position. Uh, he was very pass-happy in yesterday's game. By all accounts, he will be moving onto an edge, playing in the edge forwards on a pretty handsome figure in terms of the financial package Manly have put together to keep him there with Luke Brooks coming into the fray. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that if he is the most frustrating player currently in the NRL? <laughs> Watching the game, I'm not someone who really wants to pile on to a young player, but I have to agree with the statement, frustrating is probably something that really does sum him up because we all see all the talent and we see the things that he can do, but he's never really consistent with that at the moment. I feel like he's one of those players, he's almost stuck in between positions. I don't think he's a 5'8", but I don't think he's a back rower. He's, he reminds me a lot of Faletti Matteo. He's someone who used to come off the, off the bench and really get in the middle of the field, take some runs and do a lot of ball playing. But, you know, but Schuster, at, at the moment, he's not willing to take on the line. He's uh, wanting to you know take the ball with the no-look passes. He loves a chip and chase. He reminds me of a kid who's 
probably dominated the juniors. He's probably dominated junior ranks. He's always had the footy in his hands, but it's just not working for him at six. And then to think then that you can move someone who doesn't really want to be involved in someone who doesn't want to run the footy in a position closer to the ruck where it's harder and he's going to have to do more work and then for him to be successful, I'm, I'm not sure that really sums up and, and adds up to me. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, Look, I don't think anybody's questioning his um, his skill set, his ability to do things that others can't. But I think a bit more variety in his game would just strengthen him. And and we come from a position, you know, as commentators, we want to see the best players out there being the best version of themselves. And I don't think Josh Schuster's doing that at the moment. And, you know, when you look at how Manly were attacking, he was just looking for that miracle play almost yeah. every single time he had the football. And the game isn't about the miracle plays. It's about consistent application to doing the little things well, repeated efforts, efforts on an effort on an effort, you know, yep. hitting a line. When you've got a player with his skill set, when he runs the football, he's going to attract defenders as well because he, he's a big boy in that 5'8 position, lurking out wide, maybe some late offload, but he just seemed, it almost seemed premeditated yep. that he was looking to, to, to pass and then... You know, a couple of kicks came to some those moments of brilliance. He got a repeat set for me, Ben. And we spoke about this after the game. It's important now that the staff get to him and speak to him after this game and just say to him, "Mate, you didn't have a good game yeah. today. You, you, well, we, we don't want you to be happy with the fact that you, you you're going to have some highlight reel stuff out of that game that they're going to put on your highlights. But don't get caught into the trap of giving yourself a pat on the back for those highlight reel moments." Yeah, I think, and one of the things that stood out for me, it, it seemed, and I sensed that there was a little bit of a frustration with him frustrated with some of his teammates and them frustrated with him. I, I remember a passage of play where he had gone down his left-hand side and he had put a couple of balls on the ground and Jim Dimmick was in the blue shirt. He was running out there on the field and he had some water and it looked like he was trying to give a message to Josh Schuster and Josh Schuster wouldn't even turn around and look him in the face to listen. He sort of just brushed him off and didn't want to listen and kept walking. Now, I'm not too sure what was the dialogue there, but he looked like someone who was getting a message from the coaching box and he didn't really want to hear it or he understood what they were saying, but he was frustrated. So I can sense that in their play. And from then on, they were clunky. But uh, back to your point, in terms of video review, you wouldn't really want to be showing us chip and chases and giving him too much of a rap considering... Yeah, the, the whole of his game wasn't impressive. Yeah, they really need to manage this um, and into the off-season and next season as well for Josh Schuster to hit the ground running, live up to his price tag and fulfil his potential because we can see what he's got the capability of doing when he gets it right. It's just about picking his moment, not looking for that every single time. Yes, when the opportunity arises, take it, but you've got to start doing the tough stuff and especially, like we say, him moving into an edge. Anyway, we'll just take a short break and we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back to Footy Talk, a listener podcast. I'm your host, James Graham, joined by Benny Teo. Benny, you were strong last week with all the RLPA stuff. Just how important is the fight? And as a coach, have you got much ears on the ground? Are you hearing, are we any closer to, to getting this sorted? Look, I'm not too up to date with where the negotiations are at. Um, let's let's hope that the two parties can come together and get it solved. Now, look, I had some strong opinions on it during the week, and I'm not taking sides in terms of saying that 
in a negotiation, both sides are going to have to give and take a little bit. But I think some of the points that the RLPA are fighting for, you know, some of these players are fighting and standing up for the positions of not, not really themselves, but future players, uh, boys and girls that are going to come through and fighting for little parts of the negotiations that's important to them. One of the main parts that I wanted to point out last week was I thought that the media coverage was was crossing the line. I thought Clint Newton was out there because the players couldn't talk. He was the only voice and face out there facing the criticism. And I thought that there were sections of the media that were really ganging up on him. You know, myself and Ryan Girdler just felt that we needed to give another angle and maybe take a little bit of heat off the guy because at the end of the day, he's just out there doing his job. He's negotiating for the players. There's so many points that they're going for at the moment, but they, they're going to have to come to an agreement soon. Yeah, well, what, one of the, the, the key things in negotiations is having all parties feel like they've won. And I think we are we are capable of doing that. There's got to be give and take. And you, you make a, a great point. So a guy like Daly Cherry Evans, who's heavily involved with the RLPA, has his 300th game last weekend. He doesn't get to celebrate that and, and speak to the whole of game and have mm. everything that usually would come around it, the interview after the game. Yes, he would with the Manly Seagulls and their official channels, but he doesn't get that on a national level. And he's doing that for future generations. And one of the things you brought up is is some of those those lesser end players, some of those players down the, the bottom end of the scale in, in terms of the, the hierarchy of payments in the top 30, some of those players at the lower end, those are the people that the, the playing group are fighting for. Yeah, look, there's certain things that they're fighting for in terms of medical insurances, coverage on how long you, you have to wait to get surgeries when you come out of the game, educational grants. They're all things that are very important, but not really as much to those top earners, but the sort of guys that sit at the bottom end of the 30. You know, all the time we turn on the TV or we read the papers, we're talking about the guys with the big contracts, how much money can Payne Haas get, how much money is Joseph Suyali gets. But at the moment, you know, myself, I work in as the head coach of the Queensland Cup side. So I'm always dealing with these players that are either devs list, they're on training trials, or they're the bottom end of the top 30. Now at the moment, you know, with the CBA and all the negotiations being on hold, a lot of these guys are just in a holding pen. They're just waiting. Their whole lives are just on hold as clubs sort of fight over the, the mid-tier players. And let's just remember, you know, there's guys out there that are full-time in the NRL system that are not even on the minimum wage that everyone talks about in terms of the 120, 140K. There's guys out there that are on training trials. That's $1,000 a week. So we're talking about there's guys that have parked their career and all their put all their ambition and their dreams into, you know, a 50 $55,000 contract to try and be an NRL player. And there's plenty of these guys. They're not complaining. They're chasing their dreams. But what we've got is the older guys, the senior players in the competition are doing the fighting for them. So it's sometimes important not to forget these guys who are coming through and chasing their dream on a very, very small wage. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's credible for those guys that are looking after those players who uh, aren't as fortunate as those top earners. And for those players that are trying to carve out a career in the NRL, it is worth the slog. It is yeah. worth everything that you're willing to sacrifice and put on hold. Unfortunately, though, it is, uh, Benny, I'm not sure if you know about this, it's uh, Price's Law. 
uh, where if you look at society and, and any industry, any workplace, that I think it's the the square root of the sum of people do 50% of the work. So uh, that, that also comes into play when dealing with top-level NRL contracts. It's only natural that in a squad of the top 30, uh, it's something like, I think maybe five, six players will earn the majority of yeah. the money. That's just the way the distribution system works in most walks of life. And it kind of has to be that way, unfortunately. But credit to those guys for standing up for those players on the bottom end of the scale. And like I say, it is certainly worth it. One thing that I'm delighted has been sorted out, a meeting in Singapore International Rugby League has come together with the NRL, with the Super League, and have announced that there's going to be an Ashes series here in Australia in 2025. Where those fixtures are played at are yet to be determined. But me, as an Englishman, having the Ashes here in Australia, what a challenge. That's, I'm delighted that the international game is back up and running. And then the World Cup was supposed to be in France in 2025 for financial yeah. reasons, isn't going ahead. Now will be played in the Southern Hemisphere. Grounds and venues yet to be concerned, confirmed rather, but one proud Englishman. I am delighted that International Rugby League is back on the menu. Yeah, it's so important for our game, isn't it? It's so important for growing our game. You know, when we heard that uh, the World Cup in France was going to be called off, I was just hoping that it got moved down here because there's so many fans that are looking forward to some extra footy and looking forward to some different jerseys and faces running around. I myself spent some time overseas playing international rugby. You used to look back at, at the NRL and look back at rugby league and say, yes, we love state of origin and it's a great spectacle and we all get excited for it. But really, the future of our game is to grow internationally. And we've got to keep pushing it, keep pushing it, put these fixtures on TV so all the young boys and girls can see those players representing their country. And that, that's a real important part to our game. Yeah, absolutely, Ben. I couldn't agree with you more. And the game, the international game, is no longer uh, the dominant force of Australia. And then, you know, New Zealand and England are close second. You know, we've got the likes of Samoa and Tonga. They're making strides in the, in the international game. And we've got to keep pushing this. We've got to keep growing the international game. It's vital for our game's future, in my opinion. As we look into the NRL season for this year, with five rounds to go, or f four and a half, uh, the likely top eight, if every favourite wins... We've done a bit of a draw predictor. Uh, we've got the Panthers in first, the Broncos in second, the Warriors third, Rabbitohs, South Sydney in fourth, Souths fifth, Raiders sixth, the Knights in seventh, and the Cowboys just limping in in eighth. What do mm. you think about that? That means no eels, no, no manly, no sharks, no roosters. I would have to agree with, you know, the Eels, uh, the Sharks, Roosters and Manly missing out. I can't see them making it. Look, maybe the top four, I think there could be a few little upsets there. Maybe it's similar teams, but it might switch around. But thinking of home ground advantage for the finals, you know, for, for Brisbane to finish in the top two, that's massive for them. You know, to think that they can get a win, uh, have a week off and then be in a grand final qualifier that that's going to be massive for a lot of the players who have never really played in finals games. And, and that's going to be the real test for them, right? As well as the Broncos are going, if you really look through their roster, not many players have finals experience. Real test for them. And you know, for me, I, I can't go past the Panthers. You know, I just think they've got so much experience in those moments. 
uh, I'm looking forward. But as we know, there's always one team that comes through and can shake things up. And if I see one team that can do that, that's eighth spot. That's that's the Cowboys. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But again, you go back to the Broncos, the Warriors, the hype, the energy, the just the wave of emotion that finals and home finals will bring to the city of Brisbane. It's been such a long time between drinks and also not just the Warriors in Auckland, but they're going to have the whole nation bouncing, cheering on the Warriors, getting behind them. We've heard Andrew Webster talk about that connection to the culture, what it means to be a warrior. So if that ladder is true, let's have a look at some of those fixtures coming that will kick off the final series. We'll see Penrith Panthers take on the South Sydney Rabbitohs. What a game these two teams have already produced this season. That promises to be a cracker. The Broncos and the Warriors in Brisbane, that will be bouncing. Melbourne Storm taking on the Cowboys. Like, that will be a sensational game. I'm with you. I think the Cowboys, the Smokies in eighth, and the Raiders against the Knights. Well, the Raiders recently dismantled uh, by the Knights. So, yeah, who knows? Can Ricky Stewart's men change that around? But that looks for an exciting final series. Whoever's in there, I'm sure this ladder predictor, there's going to be many more twists, turns, maybes, if, buts. Who knows what's going to happen? The Roosters, if they can keep on winning, they play South Sydney in their final game. Maybe there's still a chance. Who knows? But, Benny, that just about wraps us up for Footy Talk. It's been fantastic to have you on the show. Have a great day, mate. All right. Thanks a lot. See you later. Eh? Cheers, mate.